Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector Kevin Kane, coming to you from the central part of Alabama, home to quite a lot of ghost stories and legends, folklore, and all kinds of urban scares. Tonight I come to you with a few more of my favorite creepy ghost stories, including one of my personal encounters. But to start things out, let me go ahead and do a few announcements. My new book, Crimson the Blood Painting, is available in paperback on Amazon, Books a Million, anywhere paperback books are sold, or you can get it on Kindle. If you're a fan of audiobooks, it is available on audiobook, performed by the wonderful Lynn R. Thomas, a wonderful voice actress who did an amazing job of reading my book. So be sure to check that out. It is based on a true incident and one of my haunted paintings, actually a couple of my haunted paintings in my collection. If you have not read about the collection of haunted items, please check out my book called my Haunted Collection, available where books are sold and on Kindle. You can find my books at myhaunteddolls.com, so be sure to check that out. You can also see links to some of my favorite Facebook groups, but even better, there's a link to my YouTube channel if you want to go out and watch some spooky videos and electronic voice phenomenon that I've captured here in my home directly from the haunted dolls and items that I have. That's uh, My Haunted Dolls Kevin Kane on YouTube, or you can just go to MyHauntedDolls.com and follow the link on the link section. And you can also check out other interesting things on the website. You can purchase my books directly from there. You can get autographed copies from there, even an autographed photo if you want. (laughs) So, without further ado, let's get right down to business. The first story I want to share with you involves a personal encounter of mine. It is a true haunted location out near the bayous of Louisiana. This is the Myrtles Plantation. The Myrtles Plantation was built near St. Francisville, Louisiana in 1798, prior to the Civil War. It is said that George Washington actually visited the area and the home itself. There have been many ghostly legends there, including that of a lawyer who in the late 1800s was shot to death on the front porch of the plantation home. He staggered inside and up the stairs, dying halfway up the stairs before he could get to his wife. She ran down, and she stooped down where he was on the steps and cradled his head in her arms and watched him pass away. Legend has it to this day that in the middle of the night you can still hear those ghostly footsteps stomping up the staircase of the plantation home. Many visitors who stay in the bed and breakfast room, yes, that's right, it is a bed and breakfast for overnight guests. People who stay in that upstairs room right above the stairs claim they've sat on the bed and listened to footsteps stomping up the stairs. 
almost in a stagger if someone, as if someone injured were trying to reach the top. But when they investigate, they find nothing there on the staircase. Sometimes they hear the gunshot. Sometimes they hear the moan of the attorney as he staggers in through the doors, reliving over and over his last few moments of of dying. But the most famous ghost story there took place even earlier than that, in the early 1800s, prior to the Civil War. Judge Clark Woodruff owned the mansion. He was the second owner of the plantation. He had many a slave working his fields out there. And he had a home slave named Chloe, or house slave, who worked inside to take care of his two daughters and his wife. His wife, Sarah Woodruff, and his two little daughters, Cordelia and Camilla, spent a lot of time with Chloe as she cooked for them, did their sewing, cared for the children like a nanny. Chloe was a young mulatto slave, only in her early 20s, and she had a knack for a little bit of mischief. She loved jewelry and loved to wear it, but another thing she loved was gossip. Many a time she hid outside the door of Judge Clark Woodruff's parlor where he would be inside, the door shut, trying to have private conversations with his friends. He did catch Chloe outside the door, eavesdropping, and he warned her and scolded her and told her not to do it again. Another thing he did with Chloe was he had an affair. As many masters did back then, he carried on a little relationship with Chloe, his housemaid, many times venturing up to the nursery and hiding inside where they carried out their sexual acts. Unbeknownst to his wife Sarah, or some might believe unbeknownst, but she probably knew, as many wives knew back then. After all, it was a man's world, and man was king of the castle. But... Judge Woodruff could not forgive Chloe's mischievous antics of eavesdropping on his conversations. The last time he caught her, he told her, he scolded her, he said, Chloe, I warned you, stop eavesdropping on me. That is it, you shall be punished. He dragged her out onto the front veranda. She screamed, but it was of no use, as he was much powerful than her. No matter how much she struggled, she could not break free from his grip. He dragged her out into the front yard. Pulling the sword from his sheath, he raised it high and brought it down on the screaming Chloe, chopping off her left ear, clean off the side of her head. For the rest of her days, Chloe wore a turban on her head, slightly tilted to the left side of her head to cover the deformity of her missing ear. She even wore an earring dangling off the end of her turban to make it look like she still had an ear there. She was afraid of being cast out of the plantation home and into the fields where she would have to toil and labor with the rest of the slaves. Being a house servant was so much higher than a field servant because you got to work indoors and outside of the heat. Most of the slaves were jealous of the house servants because they got to stay inside and work the house. So Chloe had sort of a high position there, and she did not want to lose it. She did not want to be kicked out. 
So she decided to come up with a plan to butter up to Judge Woodruff and his family. She baked a cake for their supper. Judge Woodruff was out on a trip on horseback, so it was only his wife Sarah and their two daughters, Cordelia and Camelia, having supper that evening. Chloe decided she would make them sick, just enough sick to nurse them back to health, be the big hero, and look good in the judge's eyes once again, once again reestablishing herself in the household. There were plants called oleander leaves growing on the plantation property. The oleander leaf gives off sort of an arsenic-type poison when it's boiled. It's very dangerous when you drink it. Consume enough of it, and you just might die. Chloe's plan was to ground up some of these oleander leaves and put them inside the cake mixture. Bake it into the cake, and it would be just enough to make the the wife and two daughters ill, and then she would nurse them back to health. She served up the cake that evening, and Sarah and the two girls dug into the cake, enjoying every scrumptious bite. What Chloe did not realize, though, was that she'd put a bit too much oleander leaf into the mixture. Shortly after dinner, when Sarah retired to her room and the two girls to their nursery, they became violently ill. Sarah's cries for help came from her bedroom, and Chloe rushed to her aid. She found Sarah doubled over on the bed, vomit spewing profusely from her mouth. In a weak voice, she struggled to say, Chloe, the children! For upstairs came the cries of the two girls, Cordelia and Camelia, cries of pain and agony. Chloe rushed up the old steps to the second floor and down the hall to the nursery where she found Cordelia and Camelia lying on the floor in front of their fireplace in the nursery, clutching each other and throwing up violently. All three of Chloe's victims, Sarah, Cordelia, and Camelia, died that evening from the poisoning of the oleander leaf. In a panic, Chloe told a few of the other servants what happened. They got together with the slaves and made up a mock trial, for they feared what might happen when Judge Woodruff returned home to find his family totally wiped out at the hands of Chloe. They found Chloe guilty right away and formed a posse of their own, dragging the screaming, flailing Chloe into the front yard over to the edge of the property where they found a tall cypress tree. They hoisted Chloe into the tree, tying her to a tree limb, the noose around her neck, and let her drop to her death, her neck snapping instantly. They lowered her body down from the tree, carried it across the property toward the back where the Mississippi River flows. There they dropped her body into the river and watched it float away, never to be seen again. Judge Woodruff was in such a depression after he returned home and found his family dead that he could bear 
no longer to live in that home. So he left. Other owners came and bought the property. There were a list of owners that owned it. No one owned it very long, including the attorney who was shot by an unknown assailant on the front porch, and even the groundskeeper who was killed in his own cabin by a bullet. People believe the property is cursed because it is built over Indian burial ground. Today it is owned by John and Tita Moss, and it is open as a bed and breakfast where you can spend the night in any of the spacious plantation rooms. But be forewarned, you might just experience a haunting of your own. For the spirit of Chloe has been seen wandering the halls and the rooms of the plantation at night. Described as a glowing, eerie figure of a young woman, a turban on her head, tilted slightly to the left. She goes from room to room, tucking in the guests for the night. So if you're lying in your room in the bed and it's dark and you're drifting off to sleep and you feel feel the sensation of icy cold fingers gripping your cover and pulling it up tight, never fear for it's only Chloe tucking you in. If that's not enough, Sarah's cries and weeping have been heard coming from her old bedroom and her figure has been seen wandering the plantation grounds, sobbing, searching for her daughters. Both of the little girls, Cordelia and Camilla, have been seen skipping around the plantation, giggling and playing, especially when it rains. For some reason, they love the rain. They've even been seen and heard playing on the roof of the plantation home. I spent my first night in the Myrtles Plantation back in 2004. It was fall, just after Halloween. I stayed in one of the garden rooms there next to the plantation at the main house. I thought, ha, I might be a little bit safer from the hauntings there if I didn't stay actually inside the house. But I was soon to be proven very incorrect on that idea. That night I sat in my room with a single lamp on. There's no television, no radio. It's very much like it was in the old days. and The owners want you to experience it that way. So if you're planning on watching movies, you better bring your own laptop or portable DVD player or tablet. I had my own uh, laptop and had watched a little bit of a movie. It grew late and darkness wrapped its arms around the plantation grounds outside my room. Before midnight, I grew kind of tired and decided I was going to tuck in for the night. But before I could reach for the lamp to shut it off, I noticed a shadow rush by the wall at the foot of my bed, as if someone had ran past, someone small, like a child. The lamp next to my bed began to flicker by itself. If I thought that was spooky, I didn't know what was going to be in store next, because as I sat there with my legs crossed, staring with eyes wide, watching to see what was going to happen, I felt icy, cold fingers come to rest on my leg, like a child 
placing her hand on me to get my attention. This brought me jumping clear off of the bed, and I made my way to the door. I was about to burst out and make a hasty retreat to my car, but before I could open the door, I heard a low growl outside in the darkness. I had a choice. I could either go outside and face whatever was out there growling, whether it be beast or something supernatural, or I could stay the night in the room with a ghost child. I decided to stay inside, but I left every light in the room on, and I paced and paced back and forth across the room, watching the walls, listening for any unusual sound. But nothing else happened. I finally fell across the bed and drifted off to sleep around the wee hours of the morning. When I awoke in the morning, even though I had fallen asleep on top of the covers that night, that morning I found myself tucked tightly underneath the covers, as if someone had helped me into bed and pulled the covers up around my neck. I got up and quickly dressed, combed my hair, and hurried out to the kitchen room where the breakfast was laid out. I began to tell my story of what had happened the night before to the cook and the other two guests who were staying there that night. They listened wide-eyed, their mouths hanging open as I explained that ghostly little hand that came to rest on my leg. Because it was my first time experiencing that, I decided not to stay any longer, and I left the plantation that, that day. But as I've matured in my paranormal investigating, I have been back to the Myrtles Plantation, and I've enjoyed every single visit and every single night I've stayed there. And I swear to you, when I do spend the night there, and I'm sitting in my room, this time inside the plantation home, because I want to be close to the spirits, Late at night when I'm sitting in the chair and I'm looking toward the doorway, I can swear I see a little girl's face peer around the door frame and look at me and giggle before she runs away, disappearing into the night. So if you're anywhere near St. Francisville, Louisiana, I challenge you to enjoy evening at the Myrtles Plantation. Enjoy their hospitality, their delicious food in the restaurant, which is located on the grounds. Have a wonderful mint julep, and as you stay in your room at night, you just might come into contact with some of their many spirits there. I hope you enjoyed that story. I recently heard a story that has become a new favorite of mine. It's been passed around the internet for a while, and it's even been made into a nice little animated horror video on YouTube. The name of this story is called Talent, and it's a really creepy story told in a young man's first person. So now I give you the creepy story of Talent. My little sister Zoe is 13 now. I really love her and I think I owe her my life. I was seven years old when she was born 
and I was so excited to finally have a little sister. At first I was jealous that she was getting all the attention from my parents, and I didn't pay much attention to her. Sometimes I was just downright mean to her. However, all that changed on the day I realized my little sister had a special talent. We were sitting on the couch watching TV when Zoe suddenly said, Daddy isn't coming home. I was confused by this. What did you say? I asked. Daddy isn't coming home, she repeated. I was quite unnerved at this and tried to question her further, but she wouldn't say anything more. About half an hour later, the phone rang. When I answered, there was a police officer on the other end, and he sounded gravely serious. He explained that there had been a traffic accident. My mother was in the hospital with relatively relatively minor injuries, but my father had not been so lucky. He died on the way to the hospital. The next few hours were a blur. I just switched off the TV and sat there in shock, staring at the blank screen. I was numb. They said Zoe was too young to grasp the situation, but she understood that Dad was gone and he was not coming back. Almost a year later, there was another incident. It was a nice, warm summer day, and Zoe and I were in the park. Zoe was playing on the grass when, all of a sudden, she stopped and pointed at something. There's a bad man over there, she said. We need to go. When I looked in the direction she was pointing, I saw a man nearby. He was dressed in a gray hooded sweatshirt. He had hands in, his hands in his pockets and seemed to be waiting for someone but something about him seemed very strange. With the memory of our father's death still fresh in my mind, I didn't question Zoe. I just grabbed her by the hand and together we hurried home. The next morning at breakfast, my mother was reading the newspaper and I noticed the headline on the front page. The headline read, Mother and Daughter Stabbed to Death in Park. Beneath it, there was a picture of police leading away a man in handcuffs. It was the same man in the gray hooded sweatshirt that we had seen at the park. A chill ran down my spine. Any doubts I had before were immediately quashed. My little sister definitely had a talent. From that day on, I listened carefully to anything she had to say, and I would write it down in a notebook I kept in my room. One day when Zoe was six years old, it happened again. We were at a restaurant when Zoe suddenly dropped her knife and fork, looked at my mother, and said, Grandpa's gone. An hour later, my mother got a phone call telling her that our grandfather had passed away in his sleep. Mom was very sad, but she had been prepared for the bad news. 
that was the last prediction for a long time. As the years passed, I gradually forgot about my sister's talent. It got to the point where I began to dismiss it all as just coincidence. However, last week when my girlfriend and I were spending some time together in our apartment, I got a text message. It was from Zoe, and it read, I need to tell you something. I called her and asked her what it was that she needed. She said, I need you to listen to me. I have a terrible feeling. Something is going to happen. You and Megan need to get out of there. Go to a hotel or something. Just just get out of there. Megan, my girlfriend, sat next to me on the couch and stared as I was talking on the phone. Why? What's going on? I asked Zoe. I don't know. I told you what I know. That's all I know. Okay, I assured her. I understand. We'll leave. Bye, Zoe. I immediately grabbed my girlfriend, forced her to pack some things in a suitcase, and rushed her out of the apartment. We went to a nearby hotel and booked a room for the night. The next morning, I got a call from our neighbor. He said our apartment had been broken into, but strangely, nothing had been taken. When he heard the strange noises, he called the police and they arrested the intruder when they arrived. We had to go down to the police station. Apparently, Megan's mentally unstable ex-boyfriend had broken into our apartment. He was armed with a knife, and he was planning to kill both of us. When my girlfriend heard that, she was utterly dumbfounded. All she could say was, How did your sister know? Without Zoe, we would probably both be dead. It still haunts me to this day. Nobody else believes it, and even my girlfriend is still skeptical. But I know what happened. My little sister has a talent. I hope you enjoyed my stories this evening, and I thank you so much for tuning in. You are an amazing audience, and I appreciate your support. Again, be sure to go check me out at MyHauntedDolls.com, and you can follow my Facebook page, My Haunted Dolls. Check out the YouTube channel of the same name, and get out there and check out those books, please. I really appreciate your support and your listening to my show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll be back in a few more weeks to share some more of my favorite creepy stories. Until then, happy hauntings! Ha <laughs> ha!